Open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we are going to begin reading in verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll begin reading in verse 17, hallelujah, when you got it, say so. It says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, we also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Father, thank you so much for these beautiful reminders and song of your goodness. These reminders and song that we have of what you did for us in shedding holy blood on our behalf, suffering in our place. Thank you for the reminders that you are a good God, a savior, a deliverer, a healer. Lord, we humble our hearts before you in this moment, and we ask you, Spirit of God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church in these next few moments. God, I pray that you would be glorified not only in the teaching of your word as it goes forth, but in the hearing of your word and in the application of your word. I pray that you would remove every distraction of mind and heart, and I ask you to glorify yourself in these next few moments that we have together. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I think we have a few outlines left. And if you need an outline, raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you an outline. Uh, Just keep it up so they can see you. And um, if you're next to somebody who... uh, 
doesn't have an outline, share with them. But just keep your hand up, and as long as the outlines are available, they will be coming to you. As always, we share here weekly that we engage people where they are building faith in Christ. And again, this is a tool that we have, right? This is a tool, this, this outline that we have is not just something for us to take notes, but that's part of it. But there is the other side of it, which it is for you to also meditate on it. And there's another thing that I think is applicable, and it is that you and I can utilize this in order to have conversation with those in our lives who we're trying to impact with the gospel. And so again, I hope you take notes. I, I shared last week, I gave you a, a little challenge. I said, make sure under each place on there, each of the points that you at least write one sentence, hallelujah, that you at least write something down so you can remember what he was talking about in that particular portion of the text. And so I hope that you will join me in that because we want to grow and be good students of God's word. This morning, I want to speak to you a message that I have entitled, For Better or For Worse. For better or for worse. You think about those words and in, in the marriage ceremony, in the traditional marriage ceremony, when you know a couple doesn't necessarily write their own vows, but in the traditional ceremony, there are those words that I am committing myself to you for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, right? And richer or poorer, you know, until death do us part. Like that's the idea that's there in marriage. And, and as I was reading the text, I, I saw the Apostle Paul's words in verse 17, and he says this, and we'll go back to this in a moment, but I just want you to see where this is coming from. He says, now in giving, you, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And when I, when I read those words, it, like, it jumped out at me. Like Paul is saying, the church is gathering, but it's not good. Have you ever felt that? Just keep it. You don't have to say yes. Don't say yes. <laughs> but we're, we're keeping it real, right? There, there are moments, right, that, that we don't want we don't, we don't to gather. We don't, we don't want to come together, right, there, there. It may be a person. It may be a situation or a circumstance that is there. And, and, and it doesn't make us feel good, right? And, and, and we don't necessarily want to gather because something may have happened or something may be going on inside of our hearts. And, 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 and the thing is, we have to realize that our gathering should be something for the good. Again, I want to jump into our outline here. So if you follow me in the introduction there, the church of God is a family because of a covenant made by the blood of Christ. The church of God is a family because of the covenant that was made by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been sharing this over the last few weeks, right, as we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's always something that we have to wrestle with as Americans, right, because we have a certain mentality that is not necessarily so familial, and so when we think of church, right, it's really about, well, Jesus died for you, and, and, and we've said this. I, I don't know about if you've said this, but I know that I've said this. If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have died for you. How many of you ever heard that, maybe said that, right? Is it true? Yes. The problem is you're not the only person on the planet. Hallelujah. That's the thing. You are not the only person on the planet. You're not the only person, but we live like that sometimes, don't we? 
Like, like, like it's, it really is all about me. It's really all about who I am or what I feel or what I'm going through. It really is like, like the world revolves around us in some way, shape, or form, or even the church revolves around us in some way, shape, or form. And this is just not true. We are a family because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you go back to the book of Genesis, just like we look at the covenant that God made with Abram in the book of Genesis, when he called him out of his father's house, he said that he would bless him, but he didn't just say, I'm going to bless you and you're just going to be blessed and highly favored. That isn't what he said. He said, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. This blessing wasn't just about him, but that, that covenant that God made with Abraham was number one, unbreakable, as your outline says here, but it's about family, not just an individual. Again, from the Old Testament to the New, this has been God's mind and God's heart is that, we, that, that he would communicate the interrelationship that we have because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. The family of God, and this is your... Last two sentences there in the introduction. The family of God should gather for the better, not the worse. And here's the thing. Our gathering should add value to your life. Here's, here's what I want you to understand, though. The gathering may not add value the way you want it to. Because sometimes we need to hear things that we don't necessarily want to hear. Hallelujah. Right? A lot of times we would rather listen with our elbows than with our ears, right? Like, oh, they need to hear that. They need to hear that. But do you need to hear that? Do you need to hear that truth that is being communicated about whatever it is that is being spoken of at that moment? We all need to hear the truth of God's word. And not just the truth of God's word from this podium and, and from, the, from, from the platform, but you need to hear God's word from brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do we sing together? Why do we lift our voices together? Because we are speaking one to another. Even as we are speaking to the Lord, we are building each other's faith. We are encouraging one another. We are helping each other come to understand more and more about the God that we serve. We're helping each other understand more and more about ourselves and our desperate need for redemption. But again, we don't always want to hear those things. But here's, here's what I want you to think about this morning. When we consciously share Christ, our gatherings will always be for the better. When we consciously share Christ, our gatherings will always be for the better. You understand that you as my brother, you as my sister, you are a conduit through whom Christ manifests himself. You understand that? If you don't understand that, please understand that today. You should be writing that down right now. Write it down. Write it down. You are a conduit through whom Christ makes himself known. Christ, listen, the Lord loves through you. He lets his love be known through you. The Lord rebukes through you. He comes to us through one another. And if we would think of our gatherings as though, wait a second, I have a, and look at it this way, I have a piece of Jesus, come on now. And, and, and I am coming to gather with my brothers and my sisters so we can bring all the pieces together and bring glory and honor to God. And when I gather, I want to bring Christ into your life. Not my funky attitude. Come on now. 
Not my, not, not, not my week that's been so heavy and discouraged. You know what? I need you to bring Jesus into my life so that may my, my week that was heavy and discouraging and frustrating and overwhelming, you are bringing the joy that Jesus brings. You are bringing the peace that Jesus brings. You are bringing the direction, the encouragement, or maybe the rebuke that you need because your week might have been heavy, not because things were so difficult, but because you were carrying stuff you shouldn't have been. But if we would think about the fact that, listen, it's not just the pastor. Oh, you, you, got, you, you came to get fed, right? Hallelujah. You know, he, he better preach right because I, I need to get fed. My spirit. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Hold, 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 hold on a second. We should be conduits of Jesus. We should be the, the ones who share Christ one with the other. It's not just about the pastor. The, the pastor is not the only one who has a responsibility to pray. Come on, now I ask you all. hope you all are praying for me all the time. Glory to God. Hope you're praying for the preacher, not just that the preacher speaks to you, but that God would speak to the preacher and that, the, and that God would speak through the preacher. Hello. Amen. But don't just pray that. Also pray, God, give me ears to hear what you're saying. Not what I want to hear, not what I think I need to hear, but what you are communicating. Again, if we would consciously share Christ. Listen, I want you to, listen, if you don't get anything else out of this message here today, I want you to get this. Jesus saved you so he could share himself through you. Jesus saved you so he could share himself through you. You have a mandate to be one who shares Christ with this world in tangible ways, in words of encouragement, in love, in acts of kindness, in hospitality. However it is that he, he wants to use you. I, y'all got to get that. He wants to use you, not just me, not just this powerful music ministry. No, not just the ushers, not just the greeters, not just the people and kids. No, he wants to use every single one of us in order to share himself through us. And so, again, if our gathering is going to be for the better all the time, we have to come with that mindset. The first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we should understand the heart of communion. We should understand the heart of communion. Now, I, w- I was excited to, to preach this sermon, right, because every week we partake of communion. When we first started doing, uh, when we first started our church, right, everybody has different traditions that they come from. And, and I, the particular uh, church that I came from, that's the only one that I know of. So that one, as far as being part of it at that time and how they did things, every month we had communion Sunday. And so there was one Sunday where we would all gather together, have this special worship moment, and, and in, the, in the worship, the communion celebration was, was celebrated. And there, it, it was beautiful and powerful moment. I mean, there was always tears. There was always repentance. I mean, for me, I, a communion always had a special significance and, and, and beautiful. And, and so when we started, I, you know, I studied the scriptures, and I'm reading these verses that we read here, especially verse 27 to verse 33, which we read every week to you. And as, as I'm reading the text, I realize how serious communion is. And then I think about how many people are in the building, how many people are in the room, and how many of these people are really followers of Jesus, right? So when we started, I was like, well, I guess we got to do communion once a month. But I said, here's what we're going to do. And I didn't realize this was a thing. Later on, I found out it is. But we used to do communion 30 minutes before the service started because we figured only spiritual people are going to show up 30 minutes before service starts. That's what we figured, right? And so that's called closed communion. 
Meaning that not, not, not everybody can participate. Now, churches that, that participate in closed communion, it's really intense the way that they do it because if you have not been baptized, if you are not in right standing with the church, you need to leave or you cannot come in until we're done with communion. That's how serious the moment is. It's a very, very serious moment. And then I, I, I started to be convicted because I'm like, man, I'm measuring people's spirituality by their obedience to an alarm clock. Hello. Some of y'all need to fix your alarm clocks. Amen. Uh huh. Some of y'all need to break that snooze button. Just break it. Glory to God. Disable it. Make it, make it impossible to utilize. But, but nonetheless, we'll move on from there. But, but I felt bad. I was like, man, you know, we're, 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 we're hindering people who should, every believer, this, this, this is serious, every believer should have the opportunity to partake in communion as often as possible. And so we went from doing that to then we started doing communion once a month still during, you know, the regular service, and we, you know, did that. And then as I continued studying Scripture, I realized that every single time that the church got, it seems like when I read the Scriptures, every time they gathered, they partook of communion. And I was like, man, I, I think that's where we got to do it. We, we, need, we need to partake of communion every time we gather together. And we've done it differently. For the, when we first started doing it, we would do it. When Pastor Aldo comes up here and he does his welcome and his greeting or whoever it was uh, that would get up and do that, they would get up here and they would spend, we would spend about 20 minutes and, and, and we would go and we would partake of communion. And the reason why we did it that way was because we wanted everybody to understand that we're, we're, we're about to enter from the place of, you know, the, 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 the spiritual, you know, uh, a road right? The, the part where you're clapping, if you like to clap, right? And you're moving and you might be sweating a little bit. You're going to move into a more solemn moment, a more intimate moment. And we wanted you to understand the transition that was taking place from this moment here outside, you know, you're out, it's, it's almost like you're, you're out here in the courts of praise and you're worshiping and, you know, you're singing unto the Lord. But then there's a moment that we wanted you to connect the dots and say, you know, the only reason why you're able to have this solemn moment is because someone shed blood for you. And someone welcomes you into his presence. And so we did it like that for a while. But then, you know, as we discussed as leaders, that, you know, people felt it was kind of awkward. And I was like, that's fine. We'll just, you know, we, we, we brought it to the end of the sermon. Why? Because communion reminds us of the grace of God. It reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It reminds us of what lengths God went to in order to bring salvation to you and I. It reminds us that we are the family of God, not because of our perfection, but because of a perfect sacrifice made by a perfect Savior. Communion reminds us of these things. However, we never get into these verses here. We never see how the Apostle Paul, you remember last week when we were talking about head coverings? I, I don't see any head coverings. I guess y'all didn't want to take that literally. John left his head covering today. He was like, I don't want to be called out this week. Praise the Lord. Uh, I see we still have some men with long hair, so I guess they didn't want to take that either. But anyway, I kid, I kid. But remember that in that sermon, Paul was like, I praise you in this, right? He, gave, he praised him. He was like, man, I praise you because you remember me in all things. You, you, remember, you remember the traditions that I've handed down to you. Now the Apostle Paul transitions, verse 17 again. He says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. 
In giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. So communion, and I will say this, and, and, and you, may, you may disagree, I don't know, but I firmly believe this. Communion is the most important part of our worship service. Think about that. And we put a lot of emphasis into the music that we do. I know I put a lot of emphasis into the preaching. We put a lot of emphasis into our greeting and our loving on one another, right? We put emphasis on those things. I know our kids' ministry team, they, they, they work hard in order to prepare for the kids. And yet I would tell you that the most important part of the service is communion. Now, I, I want to clarify something. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to minimize communion to this, right? Some of you walked in there and you saw some tables out there. Hope you're praying that it doesn't rain. Praise the Lord. And if it does rain, just know we're going to bring the tables in here and we'll just have the meal in here. But communion is much greater than this, right? Because when you look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul says, it doesn't make sense. Like, how many of these things, even if this was wine, how many of these would you have to drink to get drunk? Hello. Well, it depends, right? It depends on your tolerance, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but nonetheless, we have this communion thought that the Apostle Paul is communicating, and he's talking to the church, and he's, he's giving them this, this, this rebuke because of the way that they are participating in communion. And so there are two ordinances that the church has established, that God established for the church. One of them is baptism. One of them is baptism. That's something that we should do when we put our faith in Christ. It's something that we should, we should, we should say, Lord, I want to publicly declare that I am your follower. I've been born again, and I want to let the world know, and I want to let my covenant family know I'm really part of the family. I'm not hiding in a corner, raising my hand, yes, Jesus. I'm not just bowing my head saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord. and say, No, no, I'm publicly declaring my faith in Christ. Right? That's what, we, that's what we believe here. That's what we teach here. And then the other ordinance is this one, which is communion. And what, we, what do we do? We do our best to fence the table. And what I mean by that is we do, the, we, we do our best to be sure that we communicate the severity, the seriousness of communion, that you don't partake of communion with your nasty attitude and your, and, and your foul sin. And you don't, no, no, that's not how we partake of communion. We partake of communion with a, with a reverence before God. We partake of communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let the, let the plate pass you by. We tell you that every week. If you are not a follower of Christ, you should not be partaking of communion because communion does not save anyone. But as we read weekly, communion can bring condemnation into our lives. So we do our best to make sure that the table is guarded, that, you know, we, we want to offer to everyone and everyone is gathered who is the body of Christ, but we want to be sure that everybody also understands the seriousness of this moment. And here the Apostle Paul, in verses 17 to verse 22, he rebukes the church of Corinth for their loss of the heart and their understanding of the heart of communion. To the degree, this is what he says, because of the way they partook of communion, they were gathering for the worse, not for the better. I would say this, the church that gets communion wrong, gets everything wrong. The church that doesn't understand communion in the context of scripture gets the whole, we, we, we get church wrong. We get family wrong. We get ministry wrong. Paul was saying, y'all are getting it wrong. 
You, I, I don't praise you in these things because now you're gathering for the worse, not the better. So what does he go on to say so we can understand some stuff about the church of Corinth? Look at verse 18. He says, first of all, and I want you to notice, he gives a first of all. He never gives a second of all, third of all, fourth of all. He never gives a clothing thought. He just, first of all, right? He's like that parent that just went in and just forgot all their other points, just stood on point one, right? Point, point one was so good, right? It's like me. I do point one, and I'm like, man, I'm 20 minutes into this sermon, right? I mean, it's, it's like that. It's, it's, you know, anyway. So first of all, he says, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, you remember earlier in the text, right, for, the, for those of you that were here, we, we, we talked about these divisions. Paul has been rebuking the church of Corinth for being a divided people. Oh, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, right? Oh, I'm of Jesus. He rebukes all of them, right, because he's like, you know, y'all, y'all over here talking about you're of Paul. Paul is like, I didn't die for you. Neither did Cephas. He didn't die for you. Neither did Apollos. He didn't die for you. And Jesus died for you, but for some reason you think you're all that because just you and Jesus. It ain't just you and Jesus. Hello. It's you and the body of Christ. It's you and the family of God. And so he, he, he tells them that there are divisions among you. But look what he goes on to say. He says, for there must also be factions or divisions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Crazy words there. He's saying, yep, you know what? Division is going to happen. And you know what? Out of those divisions, you're going to see who are the ones that God approves and who are the ones that says, no, that's bad fruit. Who are the ones that are walking in righteousness? Who are the ones who are truly serving the Lord? Or who are the ones who are serving their appetite? Who are the ones who, who are too prideful to, to be in community with believers? I've talked to you about divisions in the church, right? We're, we're, we're too prideful to, to actually have conversations with brothers and sisters. And sit down. I told you when I preached a couple of weeks ago, right? I said, look, man, call, I did something to you. Sit down. Call me out. Come on now. I told you, do everything but no cursing me, glory to God. I wasn't saying you couldn't curse, man, because, you know, if that's how you got to express yourself, get it out, get it out, hallelujah, don't hold it in. What I was saying is let's just be respectful, let's, let, let, let's walk together, let's communicate with one another, right? But we won't do that when there's pride in the house, when there's things that are going on in our hearts. And so he says that these divisions have to happen, but look what he goes on to say in verse 20. He says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Why? For an eating... Each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? What, what, what is going on? You ever, you ever walked into a situation that you were like, what is going on? You know, if, if, if you have kids, you have nephews, you've you, you, you walked into, what on earth? <laughs> Brothers, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you've seen this, right? I mean, you... This is what Paul has experienced. He's like, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? But look what he says. Or do you despise the church of God? Here's the, here, here's the important part. And shame those who have nothing. You see, for us, we are, we are such a blessed people. Most of us are not hungry. Most of us are, are you know, we, 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 we may not be eating filet mignon. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, we got, we, 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 we're eating. This communion meal was something different. 
When we read the book of Acts, you see in the book of Acts that they went from house to house daily. There was a daily time that they came together and they broke bread. See, this meal meant something, especially to a specific group of people. And those were the people who were poor. Those were the people who had nothing. And what happened is the people who had, the wealthy people, they brought the food because what were the poor going to do? They had nothing to contribute. And so when they gathered together, Paul is like, oh, y'all rich people up in here, you get there early, you get there first, you scout out everything, you grab the best of everything. And then those who have nothing, they come in and there's nothing left for them. What? What is going on? How can you not realize the significance and the importance of this meal? This meal means this may be the only meal they get, and you're over here drinking it up and eating everything up and, and, and looking at them like, well, hey, you didn't, you, you didn't contribute anything. You're the wrong spirit, the wrong heart. Again, th this is tough for us to understand, right? Because we don't have that situation here. We're, we're not dealing in that. Again, I want you to understand the context of why Paul is so irate with them. Because they weren't considering their brothers and sisters. They weren't thinking about the body of Christ the way that they should. They were, they were shaming. They were, they were shaming those who were poor instead of welcoming them to the table. The, the church at Corinth, as we see here, they were divided, they were selfish, and they were inconsiderate, which came full circle during communion. It was a time. What, what was supposed to happen during communion? It was a time when unity was to be expressed, where hospitality was supposed to be experienced, and brotherly love was supposed supposed to be embodied, and instead, the name of Jesus was dishonored as the poor were shamed, and the church acted no better than the unsaved world around them. They looked at each other just like, see, cause this, this is what would happen in the world. This is what would happen with those who weren't, who, they, they, they would throw the crumbs to those who, you know, they, they, they couldn't come and have a full plate. Now, you could have the leftovers. That, that, that's how the unsaved people were acting. And Paul is like, y'all are acting just like them. You guys have forgotten these commands. See, the heart of communion, uh, of the communion table, is unity amidst diversity. Are you here? See, the heart of this is that, see, the cross does something powerful. It is the equalizer. What the cross does is it levels the playing field for everyone. Because in Christ, there is no rich or poor. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. See, the cross levels the playing field. So now everybody is welcome, right? And so here's what we have to understand about this communion. It reminds us that anyone, hear me when I say this, that anyone can have a seat at the table because Jesus died in their place. Anyone can have a seat at the table because Jesus died for them, because he shed blood. He made room for them. Once a person has been born again through faith in Christ, no matter your social status, no matter your gender, no matter your ethnicity, or anything else that may define you, Jesus made room for you. Oh, come on. That's what communion is about. Communion is about the space that, was, the space that you couldn't make for yourself. See, because we can never be good enough to come to the table. 
We can never clean ourselves up enough to be worthy to have a seat at the table. We can never make ourselves look good or look right enough before God in order to be, hey, you know what, you, you, should, you should sit right. No, 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 no. But he gives us the place of honor. He says, come over here. I'm bringing you into this relationship. I'm bringing you into this family. And now you as a family are one. And so the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, you should remember, remember. the covenant established in communion. You should remember the covenant that was established in communion. When we partake of communion, we should remember and be reminded of the covenant that Jesus made for us. The Apostle Paul, verse 23, uh, on verse 8, look what it says, or I say verse 8, the first part of verse 23. It says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So the first thing that I want you to understand is that the reason why communion was such a sacred and beautiful thing to the Apostle Paul is because as one who did not walk with Jesus while he was on earth, as one who was not in the upper room with Christ, he received direct revelation from the Lord of what happened in that upper room. It's beautiful. And so the apostle Paul in his time, as he is spending time with the Lord, the Lord is showing him. Now, I want to be clear because the apostle Paul makes it clear that he spent like three years, I believe, in the desert of Arabia, and he was getting direct revelation, direct download from God. Let's be clear. He, we, we did not have the New Testament. We don't need to go out to the desert of Arabia. You might get something. Hello. You might get the wrong spirit. You might get the wrong revelation. We have this book that God has given us. You want to go to the desert? Take the book with you. Hello. Go out there and be with the Lord. And any spirit or any feeling or any emotion that doesn't align with this, you need to just kick that thing out and be like, this is not God. Right? The apostle Paul didn't have this. He was, he was, he was the last apostle that was called, a, I'll call him a capital A apostle. We'll talk about what I mean by, by that later on. But, but just keep that in mind. He was the last one that was called. God calls him to do this, this specific work. He calls him in order to be a, a foundational layer in the church, in the body of Christ. He is one that is writing the New Testament. He is one that is, that is getting this direct information from the Lord. And so this is a sacred thing to him. And he realized it's not just sacred to him because he got the revelation, but because of what the Lord is showing him that communion means. And how the Lord is communicating what communion should be reminding him, him of. And so again, regarding communion, it was sacred. And, and we here, we recognize it as what? We recognize communion as a gospel picture, don't we? Every week we partake of communion. And, and I have a brother that I was sharing with, and him and I, as we were talking, he was like, he was asking me about this. He said, so when do you guys partake of communion? And I'm like, well, we do it every week. Well, he, he only sees us online. He lives in Texas, and he sees the service online, so he doesn't get to see that part when we partake of communion. And so ultimately, we, we, we every week, we talk about this gospel picture. And I'm just going to remind you of this because I'm not going to go through this later on when we partake of communion together. But communion is a gospel picture. It reminds us of our sin. It reminds us of our Savior, and it reminds us of our salvation, does it not? When we come to the communion table, we have to be reminded of our sin because the blood that we are, that, that we are remembering, the body that we are remembering, reminds us of the fact that he died. Why did he die? He didn't die because you were good and cute. Hello? He died because we are all sinful and in desperate need of salvation. We are incapable of saving ourselves. We are separated from God. He dies in order to bring us into a relationship with God. But what does he have to do? He has to address our sin first. 
And we realize that our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God's goodness, his blessing, his grace. Now, mind you, he still shows it to us despite our sin. Because what? The goodness of God is what brings people to repentance. Even his enemies, he's still good to because what? Not because we deserve it, but because he wants you to know he loves you. He wants you to know your value to him. He wants, that's what communion reminds us of. So it reminds us of our sins. So whatever our sins were, as we were singing the song, uh, or the part of the song where it says, where would I be, where would I be? I mean, every time we sing that part of the song, I'm like, man. See, I don't, I don't know about you. I just know where I would be. I can't, I, I can't talk about you because some, some of y'all could talk about you, but I won't. Because I know where you would be. Hello, glory to God. But when we sing that song, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. Where would I be if Jesus didn't intervene? If Jesus didn't come on that rescue mission, if Jesus did not illuminate my heart through the power of the gospel, if he didn't come, where would, man, I would be dead, I would be diseased, I would be in prison. I know I wouldn't be here, hello. I know I wouldn't be experiencing the goodness of God in a, in like, I know this is the goodness of God. I'm not, I'm not thinking that it's something that I've done that I, or that I deserve, no. But where would I be? Because what? I remember my sin. And I wish I, wish I could tell you that I, I only remember sins of before I came to Jesus. But unfortunately, I still fall short of the glory of God. I still have struggles with things in my heart. I still have things that, 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 that run through my mind. There's still stuff. And so when we come to communion, those things all come up. But you know what the beautiful thing is? Is that God doesn't leave us in our sin. He shows us our Savior. Our Savior who nailed every one of those sins, past, present, and future, he nailed them all to the cross. And I can always run to him and humble my heart before him and receive his forgiveness. And so if you're in here or you're listening and you do not have a relationship with him and you're feeling some weight because you know that you got all kind of sin that's running in your life, there's all kind of things that you know you're unworthy of God's love and God's grace, run to him today. That's what communion reminds us of, that there's a Savior who is waiting to forgive us. And if you're a child of God in this place and you're struggling with condemnation, you need to know that there is power in the blood of Jesus. That our God is faithful and he forgives. All you have to do is confess and repent. That's it. Confess your sin unto God is what the scripture says. And he is faithful who will forgive you of all of your sin and cleanse you of unrighteousness. That's what God says. Communion reminds us of that, but it doesn't just remind us of our sin. It doesn't just remind us of our great Savior. Communion reminds us of our salvation. Oh, communion reminds us that there is coming a day that he will wipe every tear away. Communion reminds us that there is coming a day that all of the heartache, that all of the pain, that all of the discouragement, that all of the doubts, that all of the questions will subside because we'll be in the presence of the Almighty God. For those who are followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have that hope. But that is our hope, right, that we are temporarily here in this earth. So we want to be those who are walking in that, and communion should never, should never, should never, ever become a common thing. See, here's, see, here's the thing, the truth. 
I struggle with, 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 with these elements in the participation that we have every week. And I struggle with it because I, I fear that we can become so accustomed to this that it means nothing. That it's just another thing that we got to do and get through so I can get to lunch. May it never be so. Every time that we partake of communion, despite the fact that this is not, again, communion was a much larger meal that had a moment in it where they recognized the bread, they recognized the wine, they remembered the broken body, they remembered the shed blood of Christ, they remembered that, and they were reminded that we are family because of a great Savior. But I fear because we can easily become those who, the, the, these elements become just a common thing. And I pray that this message will encourage you not to think that way. Verse 23, uh, continuing the second half of the verse, he says, that I received from the Lord and, and, and that which I delivered to you. And he goes on to say that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. You, you hear those words there? The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Paul was familiar with the betrayal of Judas. And for those of you that have been to the Seder meal, you realize that, that that's called the sop, right? Where, 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 the, where, where, where the bread is dipped into the wine. And that, and that moment there is so significant because what happens is in that moment, you are offering the person who is there forgiveness. And in that moment, rather than take forgiveness from Christ, he took 30 pieces of silver to betray Christ. So on the night he was betrayed, don't let that, don't, don't let that go away from your mind. This, the, the, you know, we always think about Good Friday. Whenever we get to Good Friday, we're always like, man, we say Good Friday, but it wasn't good for him. One of his disciples that he knew was going to betray him does what he knew was going to happen. That doesn't mean it didn't hurt. He walked with this guy for three years. He didn't hate him. He offered him the stop. He offered him forgiveness. Judas could have turned from his sin. God would have got Jesus to the, to the cross. Come on now. It was going to happen. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But the truth is that in this night in which he was betrayed, but he wasn't just betrayed by his friend, right? He was abandoned by his other friends. They all abandoned him. Peter's calling curses down on himself. I don't know him. Hello. Painful night on the night that he was betrayed. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken, for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. Jesus was a betrayed, beaten, and broken, yet willing substitute sufferer. He freely gave himself in our place. It's funny because when I was studying this and I was reading this, this text, if you look at your Bible, I don't know about your Bible, my Bible has, you know, there's numbers and letters and stuff like that around certain words. And, and when you look at take, eat, this is my body which is broken, there's a little number there, and it says that it is omitted in some of the texts that are there. The beauty of this, if it is omitted, is that it wasn't just about his body being broken, but it was also about his body being given. You see, because we know that his body was broken, 
But the book of Luke says something different. It doesn't use the word broken. It says, my body is given for you. Nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life. He gave himself up so that way we could experience salvation. His body wasn't just brutalized, but he subjected himself. He submitted himself to this suffering. He gave himself for us. He took the place and our penalty of sin. And, and, and I want to say this. It's not only eternal torment. When we think about sin, we automatically, I would think, we think about hell. But I want you to know something. God doesn't want to just save you from an eternity in hell. He wants to save you from being separated from him while you're on this earth. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk. That's, that, that's what communion reminds us of. When we partake of communion, we remember the death of Jesus, which only matters. You know why the death of Jesus matters so much? Because he rose again. If, if, if I'm just telling you about a dead guy, it doesn't matter. You can tune me out. You just, oh, it doesn't matter. Somebody died. People die all the time. Hello. Death is not, listen, death, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to minimize the death of Jesus. All right, Let's, let me pause here real quick. Because the death of Christ is a big deal. But the reason why there's power in that death is because he rose again on the third day. That is where the power of redemption comes from. It's because he rose again, removing the power of sin, removing the power of death. And so we have this. The last part of that verse, verse 26, he says that we remember or, or we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want you to know this, that not only do we see the power of the covenant being initiated by, by Christ and being ratified in the resurrection, but it is reinforced by the promise of our king's soon return. How many of you know that Jesus is coming? I mean, when you look around, you should see that his coming is closer than what it was 10 years ago, than what it was uh, 50 years ago. His coming is closer. There are more biblical prophecies that are, that, are, that are being fulfilled right now. And so you need to have your eyes open, right? This is not the moment to put your head in the sand. This is the moment for you and I to have our eyes open, realizing our king is coming. Every time we partake of communion, you know what we're reminded of? Our king is coming. You know what that is for us? That's a promise. That's a pro Guess what? The first two-thirds of the mission, he didn't fail. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died. He rose again. He, listen, he didn't fail that part of the mission. Guess what part of the mission he's not going to fail either? His return. He's coming to get us. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we should evaluate our connection to the body during communion. We should evaluate our connection to the body during communion. Verse 27 to 28, look at what it says. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Look, jump down with me to verse 31 and verse 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Communion is a time for us to look back. It is a time for us to look forward. But it is also a time for us to look inward and for us to look outward. Communion is not just a moment for just you to have some intimate reflection on the Lord. The church is instructed to examine themselves to ensure their manner 
of partaking of communion. I want you to understand this, please, because I don't know if I make this clear enough for you, but it says these words. It says that you do not partake of the cup of the Lord, verse 27, in an unworthy manner. Anybody who does it in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You understand none of us is worthy to partake of communion. I don't care if you had your best week. I don't care if you didn't cuss. I don't care if you read your Bible every day. I don't care if you prayed. I don't care if your eyes were focused on the Lord. I don't care if you were the most submissive wife or most, you know, or most loving husband. I don't care if you were the most honorable child. I don't care if you got straight A's. You are unworthy to partake of communion. The only thing that makes us worthy to partake of communion is the sacrifice that Christ made. But the manner in which we partake is what's in question. Now, again, you got to go to the context here. The context is that the rich people were dishonoring and shaming the poor people. In other words, they were showing that they really didn't care about the body the way that they should. So when we partake of communion, we should not just think introspectively about me and my sin, which we do every week, right? And, and I have to apologize because I haven't emphasized enough on the body of Christ. Not the, the body that is symbolized in the elements, but the body of Christ that is in the room. You see, we need to think about our relationship with the body of Christ. When we come to communion, is there a brother or a sister that we're dishonoring? Is there a brother or a sister that we are ignoring? Is there a brother or a sister that we are not concerned for? Is there a brother or sister that we are bitter with? Is there someone that, you know, we, we're going to participate in an event, we ask, is so-and-so going to be there? Mm-hmm. I know nobody does that, nobody at all. When we partake of communion, we should think of our connection to the body of Christ. We should think of our commitment to the body of Christ. Am I committed to the unity of the body the way that I should be? Am I committed to the, to the familial love that I should? Do I care about my brothers and sisters? Do I even know my brothers and sisters' name? One of the saddest things for me that I see sometimes is people, they can't wait to just beeline out of here, leave. They don't talk to anyone. They just go. My friends, how do you know the body if you never spend time with the body? If you never commune with the body. Listen, you're part of core faith. That means you should have communion, not just this. You should have communion. You should have fellowship. You should know your brothers and sisters. You should be praying for your brothers and sisters. Our sister Raquel, the other day, I heard her, I overheard a conversation with her. I think she was talking to Pastor Aldo, I'm not sure. But she was asking for an updated list of those who are vision carriers of Core Faith Church. Because she's like, as I'm going through the list praying, I don't know some of these people. Because, you know, some of them may not be here. Or, you know, maybe she, she doesn't know every single person. But she wants to know brothers and sisters. And so, again, we have, we, we, when we partake of communion, we got to think about, man, it, and, and, and again, we have to think about our connection to the body. And I repeat, we have to be delivered from our Americanized mentality of what church is. Our, our Western mentality of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We are supposed to be brothers and sisters who care. 
When you suffer, I suffer. When you rejoice, I rejoice. You know what's impossible? It's impossible to rejoice when you don't even know what's going on in my life. You know what's impossible? It's impossible to suffer. If, you, if you're never around me, hello, you're just living, everything is good with you. You're living your best life. And yet you have brothers and sisters that are going through things and you don't even know what's going on. I know this is heavy. It's supposed to be encouraging. Communion, we're going to have lunch in a moment, praise the Lord. The truth is, church, that we are supposed to look at communion from a different place. We're supposed to look at it as the Lord's Supper. So uh, verse 33 to verse 34, he goes on, he says this. He says, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. That's the reason why we're going to have lunch together. Because this is what the church would have done. They would have came together. They would have heard the doctrine of the apostles. In our context, the preaching of God's word. And then they would have broken bread together. And they may not have had it at the temple because obviously it says they went from house to house doing that. But I just decided, hey, man, we're going we're to be a big family today. And so listen, don't grab your meal and run. Hello. Sit down at a table. This wasn't just to give you lunch and free you up from cooking today. Hello. Or liberate you from having to go buy lunch. This was to actually create a moment where you could sit down with someone. And listen, let me challenge you. Sit down with someone you don't normally sit down with. So you know what that means? You may not be sitting next to your biological family. Hello, somebody. It's not because I don't, I love you, I know you, we, we got the same blood like here, hello. But I got to get to know my other brothers and sisters, my, the, 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 other bro, the, the other ones that, that we're not biologically blood, but by the blood of Christ we are blood. See, it's, it's supposed to be a moment, again, where we gather, where we worship. It's a family meal. And the Lord of the family desires that his children love one another and care for one another. He doesn't just want you to have lunch together. He wants you to do life together. Hello? He, he, he doesn't just want you to have a meal together and, and critique the, how good it was or how bad. No, no, that, that isn't it. He wants you to do life together. But you know what I know? We don't do life together if we're really not sitting down breaking bread. If, if we're not having meal, we, we're not doing life together. Listen, if you, hear me now, and I know, again, this is heavy. If you are not sitting down and sharing a meal with brothers and sisters, you are not doing life with them. So again, he wants his family to care for one another. And here it is. It is impossible for a true Christian to get closer to his Lord while at the same time he or she is separated from his fellow believers. You can't do that. How can we remember the Lord's death and not love one another. The Apostle John says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. He loved us, so we should love one another. 
And so as I'm wrapping up this third point here, we must view the body from the perspective of the head. Again, I go back to verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and, uh, and blood of the Lord. Again, let a man examine himself, right? We, we have to have this moment of examination. And for he who eats, verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Look at these words, not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding the Lord's body, not just not, not realizing. And, and, there, and there's a lot of debate and I'm, I'm wrapping up here, but there's a lot of debate and discussion around what communion really is. Right. And so, you know, you're, I'm going to give you a couple of a couple of, of big words. You can write them down. You can tell somebody, hey, I learned about this. You can sound smart. Maybe I don't know. But here it is. Transubstantiation. Hallelujah, you thought I was speaking in tongues. I know, looking for an interpretation. No, transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. It is a belief that originated in the Catholic Church. It, it, it originated where their belief was that the, the, the elements, once a, an ordained priest prayed over the elements, the elements actually transformed and became the physical body and blood of Christ. When I say, when we partake of communion, that it cannot save you, it is because that is the belief. Literally, every week in that tradition, the mindset is the sacrifice of Christ is literally reoffered. And so it's like crucifying Jesus every week. I think there's a problem with that. It's not biblical. There, there is no, there, now listen, there are scriptures you can argue about, man. You know, when Jesus said, John chapter 6, right, Jesus is communicating and he's saying, hey, you know, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were like, are you nuts? There was confusion there to be sure. But we also know that there is symbolism that is present. Now, there's a, there's a great reformer by the name of Martin Luther. He, he was like, nah, man, that is what happens. Now, remember, Martin Luther, he came from the Catholic tradition. He believed that people were saved by faith alone, 100%. And yet, there's a, there, and I, I was talking with one of my mentors, and he brought, he brought this to, 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 to mind because I didn't even know this. But Martin Luther is literally him, and, and, and one of the, the guys there, I think his name is Ulrich Zwigli, is what his name was. He was one of the reformers. It was Martin Luther, um, Ulrich um, Zwigli, and John, and John Calvin. Those, those three were the, were the great reformers in the 1800s. And Martin Luther, he was 100% assured, and he knew this is the body. This is my body. They're arguing. He slams his hand on the table, walks out the door. This is my body. Walks out. Y'all are crazy. Luther was assured. He was 100% sure. But John Calvin and, and, and Zwigli, they were like, ah, I don't, we, we, don't, we don't think that. Then they came up with another thing. It's called consubstantiation. I'm giving you these big words because I want you to understand what we believe for communion. Consubstantiation is different. It is not that the elements become the physical body of Christ, but it is that the elements become the spiritual body of Christ. I don't know. See, we land somewhere in between consubstantiation and remembrance. See, what I believe that the scriptures teach 
is that we are to remember him. Every week we get together and we, we, we think about this bread, we think about this juice, and we think about the body and the blood of Christ. We are reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. These elements in and of themselves, in my understanding, these are not sacred by themselves. What makes them sacred is that they symbolize something. But here's why I say I'm somewhere in between. You know, we're somewhere in between the consubstantiation where it's the spiritual presence and the remembrance is because I believe firmly that when we partake of communion and remembrance, Christ is present. Christ is present. And we have to discern the Lord's body. When we partake of communion, it is not that these things become holy or these things save us, but it is that there is a Savior who died, and his death, burial, and resurrection are symbolized in these. But here's the thing that I think that we have to understand when it's talking about discerning the Lord's body. It's not just understanding transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and remembrance, but it's remembering that the broken body of Christ is being put together by the physical body of Christ that's present. Are you here? You and I are the body of Christ. We are literally, literally the hands and feet of Jesus. We are literally the mouthpiece of Jesus. We are literally the hearts that love as a manifestation of Christ. Again, we have to discern the body. That's the reason why we partake of communion. We got to think about our relationships with our brothers and sisters. We got to think about our connections with the body of Christ. And so again, I pray that as we partake of communion today, that you will do it with seriousness, that you will do it with solemnity, and that you'll realize that, man, God wants us to be moved by his sacrifice toward the people he was sacrificed for. Amen? Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, we are... We are so, so grateful. We're grateful for the precious and holy blood of Jesus. We're grateful for the sacrifice that was made for us. We're grateful for that sacrifice that makes us family. We're grateful for the sacrifice that you willingly gave for us. You became sin. You became sin. That we would become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You were sinless. You knew no sin. You were perfect in all of your ways. Help us to stand in awe of that truth. Always. But Lord, let us not just revel in the, the facts and the truth of the sacrifice you made. But Lord, let us recognize our new family in you. 
Let us recognize how important we are to you. Let us recognize how important each of us should be to one another. Lord, forgive us for hurting your body, disregarding your body. Forgive us for not being aligned with your heart. In regard, not to just a moment on Sundays, but Lord, to living our lives in communion with one another. Lord, I pray that whatever baggage is there, I pray whatever barriers are there, I pray whatever obstacles are there, in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, I pray that you would remove them. I pray for hearts that have been hurt by the church, Lord God, I pray that you would heal in this moment, that you empower them to forgive. I pray that you would heal broken relationships because we say yes to your finished work. Father, we thank you again for loving us as you do. We thank you again for all that you have given us. And as we partake of this communion together in, this, in these next few moments, Lord, I just, I pray that our hearts, that our hearts would move closer to you and closer to one another, Lord. We thank you because you're here, Lord. And we honor you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.